Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechU. I am your host, Andrew Degeler. In today's episode, we take a look back at this week in European tech. We talk about funding, we talk about M&A, we talk about IPOs, and we will also listen to an interview with Shamila Bankia, the VP at London-based VC Dawn Capital. But before we get to that, let us take a glimpse at this week's news. Polestar, a Swedish performance electric car company that used to be a brand under Volvo Cars, has raised 550 million US dollars in its first external funding round. Same as Volvo, Polestar is actually owned by China-based company uh, Zhejiang Jili Holding, and it also has a manufacturing facility in China. Uh, together with this uh, funding round, Polestar has announced two new modifications of its Polestar 2 electric vehicle, and as far as I understand, both of them are are going to be cheaper than the original Polestar 2 model, which now retails at over 44,000 euros. Per the report by TechRanch, I quote here, the company also announced grander ambitions to build the first climate-neutral car by 2030. That climate-neutral badge won't be earned through carbon offsets, but by fundamentally changing the way the new EV is made, Polestar said, including rethinking every piece of the supply chain from material sourcing through to manufacturing and even by making the vehicle more energy efficient, the quote ends. Moving on, Swiss medical device company Secure has landed 115 million US dollars in funding. The company has created a thin and discreet wearable device that delivers insulin into the wearer's system, and it can replace the mealtime injections for people with diabetes. The device has got relevant authority approvals both in the US and in Europe, meaning the FDA clearance and a CE mark. Startup ticker, which reported the news, also notes that the round is the largest fundraising to date for a privately held medtech company in Europe. The company will use the funds to bring the device to the market, and it has already planned a phased commercial launch strategy that includes a limited market release in 2021. Next up, Berlin Brands Group, one of the growing number of companies that acquire and scale up Amazon merchant businesses, has raised 240 million US dollars. This is a 100% debt funding round provided by Unicredit, Deutsche Bank and Commerzbank. It's also not like the company has not got money already. Earlier this year, Berlin Brands Group already announced committing 300 million US dollars to buy more companies. And if you are interested in this growing market, you may want to go back and listen to my previous interviews with uh, companies like Trazio, that happened last week, Seller X last December, and Fast Brands last November. I will leave the links in the show notes. It's really a fascinating thing to learn more about. Now, another German company called Grover has just secured a 60 million euro Series B round. Founded in 2015, Grover enables consumers to rent all sorts of tech products instead of buying them, and that ranges from laptops to e-scooters to TVs and wall projectors. In the announcement, Grover shared that it saw year-over-year growth of 2.5x and ended the fiscal year with a net revenue of 37 million euros. Based on these figures, Grover reports that 4,000 metric tons of CO2 were saved due to device recirculation. And to round off the funding overview, Estonia-based identity verification startup Verif has landed 69 million US dollars in a round led by IVP and Axel. 
very simply speaking, Verif has created a way to evaluate someone's ID by leveraging video and AI algorithms. Again, if you are interested in this topic, listen back to an interview that I did with Verif back in 2019 when I sat down with its VP of Engineering, Tiet Pananen. I will leave a link in the show notes. An interesting piece of news came this week from Croatia. The local unicorn cloud communications platform company InfoBip has acquired the developer-focused Shift Conference business, appointing its founder and CEO Ivan Burazin to the board as its new chief developer experience officer. Per a report by our editor Robin Wouters, the terms of the agreement were not disclosed, but we understand that it concerned a cash and stock deal. With this deal, InfoBip wants to signal a strategic shift to put the developers front and center of its company strategy going forward. InfoBip will continue to create developer conferences all over the world under the Shift brand and will also have its fresh developer experience department address the B2C market by conducting outreach to developers through teams of advocates as well as startup outreach programs. Next up, news from the VC land. Uh, London-based seed investor Local Globe and its Series B sister fund Latitude have announced to have raised 370 million US dollars. To be precise, 150 million will go to Local Globe and another 220 million to Latitude. The fund is mostly focused on the UK market but also invests in Europe and occasionally elsewhere. In the IPO department, Swedish payment platform Trustly will launch its IPO in late April or early May. The listing will take place in Stockholm, notably, and is expected to value the company at a cool 9 billion euros. That's a lot higher than its last reported valuation of just 2 billion US dollars from last year. Trustly, in case you're not familiar with it, allows consumers to pay for goods via a bank transfer, which brings down transaction costs and increases the speed. Now, it is time for the featured interview of today's episode, in which Robin Wouters sat down with Shamila Bankia of Dawn Capital. Hey, hey, this is Robin Wouters from Tech.U, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, as usual, by Shamila Bankia. She is the vice president at Dawn Capital, uh, one of the most prolific uh, European tech investors, I would say. Um, Originally from Uganda, I saw that you lived on four continents already. You were previously with SoftBank Vision Fund in London, and uh, you've joined uh, Dawn relatively recently. Did I get all of that right, Jamila? Yes, that is all correct. <laughs> Fantastic. But maybe you can do a bit of a better job in explaining um, who you are and what you do at, uh, at Dawn Capital. Yeah, sure. So I have indeed lived on four continents. I'm, I'm from Uganda originally, as you've mentioned. I was born and raised there. And then kind of randomly made my way over to the U.S. for high school and, and university. And I started my career um, in consulting in, in New York, actually, primarily advising private equity clients and, and doing some tech uh, work on strategy and operations for, for a number of years. Um, that brought me over to London, where I've now lived for, for five years and post-consulting and after a couple of failed entrepreneurship stunts, decided to join SoftBank Vision Fund, where I covered a lot of still, you know, primarily enterprise uh, technology investments, um, but much more globally. So looking across Europe, across Germany, the UK, across Israel, and occasionally uh, across Japan, either directly or in, or in joint ventures, which is super, super exciting. And, you know, looking at very, very late stage deals, so Series D, E+, really PIPO rounds in technology that were really, really much, much larger 
and I joined Dawn last summer, early last summer. I basically lead our work in the UK and Ireland in, in B2B software. As you've mentioned, we've been around for quite a while as Dawn. Um, we're completely B2B focused. We primarily invest in data, infrastructure, analytics, as well as fintech and privacy and security. Those are kind of our core areas of, of focus. And I'm particularly interested in everything that's um, infrastructure and developer tool related. I always like to joke and say that I love things that are difficult to understand because it, it really does put you in, a, in an incredible position to hear entrepreneurs share with you. They're very, very technical visions. And I think um, it's always fascinating to kind of get to understand what they're building and the decisions for their choice. Great. Well, that's uh, that's quite a summary uh, you've given. That's a nice foundation for, for the conversation that we're about to have. Um, but I, I wanted to go back to last summer because, of course, working at SoftBank Vision Fund in the last few years must have been quite an interesting experience. So so I'm, I'm wondering what compelled you to join Don Capital in the middle of a pandemic, no less. Yeah, no, sure. Um, I, I love my time at SoftBank Vision Fund. As I mentioned, I was looking at growth stage investments very, very, very broadly. And I think the biggest reason for me to join Don really was... Um, the need to look at things slightly earlier. Um, I think in general, if you look at the European VC landscape, the amount of volume that we have um, at seed, series A, series B is just incredible. I think there's a much larger opportunity to meet exciting companies and to f- fundamentally meet them earlier in their journey and hopefully be potential partners with them as they as they progress over time. And I think with, with growth, it's exciting because you meet these fully mature businesses with fully formed organizations and um, you know, your capital is almost a commodity and you do get to work with them, don't get me wrong, but it's just in the same way as, you know, being in the trenches and helping someone hire their first VP cell. So that was, you know, very energizing um, and exciting for me. I was also very much drawn to the idea of focusing a lot. I think there's a lot of value in looking at the same type of investment over a period of time. So we only do B2B at dawn. We have very, very specific areas of focus, which means that when we speak to founders over, you know, first meetings, we're able to add a significant amount of value which also means that we've essentially compounded our learning over the last 15, 20 years in this space, which means that we are you know, very, very fundamentally experts um, versus, versus journalists. And I find that incredibly compelling. And the final reason, of course, is the people. You know, I think hopefully everyone that you've met who is at Dawn or has interacted with Dawn has just mentioned to you how incredible everyone is. I think we have an extremely talented team of really, really diverse backgrounds, both in terms of gender, in terms of, you know, entrepreneurs versus bankers versus consultants versus operators, in terms of varied nature of experience. And I think that just, you know, creates an excellent um, environment to just grow in and uh, to collaborate in the team and, and also with our founders. Great. Speaking of uh, diverse um, teams, uh, I think I, I saw somewhere in your intro that you were also a co-founder of a startup, but then in your introduction, you mentioned that you actually... Uh, have failed entrepreneur, yes. entrepreneurial endeavors behind you. Yes. So, so I don't know which is which now. Um, yeah. are, you still, are you still running a company uh, alongside your, your investment role or not? Uh, I am-ish, but it's a long and complicated story. Let me <laughs> rephrase that. It's complicated. So I started the company uh, with a friend that was uh, essentially a marketplace for um, for nurses, actually. So basically trying to plug the holes in terms of the NHS gaps that exist in terms of capacity for nurses to be able to support uh, through the pandemic um, a little bit before that as well. So, you know, it was an exciting experience. Um, my, my co-founders were really, really knowledgeable um, in healthcare, which was, which was amazing and fascinating. And of course, my role was to provide um, some background in terms of business um, and, you know, some operational expertise from my work in consulting and also in investing. The business is still ongoing. I've stepped back from the business because I've realized it's impossible to 
uh, have a job in venture <laughs> and also and also found a company. So the company is still ongoing. They're actually doing really well. Uh, they've started signing their first contracts. But I would say I failed because, you know, I've realized that it's impossible to wear two hats at the same time. And it actually gave me a significant amount of empathy for um, entrepreneurs. It takes a lot of guts to step away from your job and to commit yourself, you know, 1000% to something that is still very much in, in, the, in the formation stages. And so I'm glad I went through it. I learned a lot, um, but I definitely wouldn't say I've been a successful founder with an incredible exit. Well, at least you succeeded in uh, in acknowledging the fact that you probably need to focus on yeah. venture. Also, you could you could put it that way as well. Um, but then I, I think you said you landed in in London in Europe uh, about five years ago. Uh, in those five years, what have you learned about the European tech ecosystem that you didn't know before? Yeah, no, it's an excellent question because I did, you know, the majority of my life, to be honest, was was in the US prior to prior to moving to, the, to Europe. I think what I've learned is that. Europe is a combination of different countries and that every single country has its own nexus and ecosystem, both of founders, but also investors. And I think that is changing, but will take time, right? So I think that people who are thinking about scaling European businesses need to be thinking very carefully about exactly which markets make the best sense for them. Because I think, you know, in the US, it was just always assumed that you could just go from like Massachusetts to like California. And there were obviously time and space differences there, but fundamentally, you know, single market, single language, which which way that's getting slightly easier. I think that there is nuance in Europe around understanding the different contexts that exist within each country. And that's an important opportunity and, and challenge for founders as they scale their businesses. The second thing that I've realized is that, you know, there is an incredible, uh, just firmly incredible amount of talent all over the continent um, in places that will surprise you. And the talent is growing significantly, actually, um, in part because we've kind of evolved from having every single company sitting, every single tech company sitting in, you know, in, in the West Coast or somewhere in the U.S. to actually, yeah, you know, independent companies being formed here, but also American companies, Chinese companies you know, companies from elsewhere creating uh, offices here, which then breed and, and nurture talent. So I think we're at a very interesting point where, you know, there's a lot of natural talent plus the combination of people from everywhere else creating hubs and offices here, just creating this incredible like ecosystem that's continuing to grow. And I think it's interesting because it's a bit of a flywheel. I, I hate to sound very stereotypical from that perspective, but like the more talent you have, um, the more successes you have, the more talent you breed. And it's been fascinating, especially over the last five years, just watching Europe, you know, go through that journey. Um, and I think everyone is noticing, right? I mean, every single day I wake up and not only is there another B2B fund, which is our focus, we're the original B2B investors, um, but there's also a lot of, you know, US funds that are realizing the amount of opportunity here. Um, and I think that, you know, even over time, as we reflect on successes globally, it's incredible just how many of them are actually born in Europe and how many founders that have been successful in the U.S. came from Europe. So I was speaking the other day about Kong, which apparently has Italian founders, or like the most stereotypical one is, of course, Stripe, which everyone knows with the Colson brothers. So I think it's it's undeniable that the amount of talent exists, and it's been incredible watching the infrastructure um, from a venture perspective catching up with, with the opportunity here. 
Great. Well, I'll definitely subscribe to that notion. I've been covering the industry for about 15 years now, and especially in the last three years, I, I think that the change has been just tremendous. And, and the amount of interest also from, from the U.S., not just investors, but also corporates and just media attention, et cetera, is a, it's really growing, which is which is nice. Um, but of course, as you pointed out a couple of times before, um, you have a focus uh, in terms of verticals. So you focus on B2B uh, software, which is a very, very large sector already in Europe and then growing at a, at a fast clip as well. Um, is there a downside to, to having that sort of singular focus on SaaS enterprise software companies? No, it's a good question. I mean, I think that it, it's impossible for me to say, yes, there is a downside because that's you know fundamentally my thesis for joining Dawn. Um, I think that focused approaches will continue to um, to add a significant amount of value to founders, most importantly, right? I, it's just incredible to have, like at Dawn right now, we have probably about 25, 30 portfolio companies actively that we're managing, and we're all sitting on boards um, in those companies, and we have sessions, you know, every single every single, you know, very, very regularly, frankly, to kind of share learnings and think about who needs what, um, think about who needs to collaborate more, think about who's trying to win an Orlando client and how we can help them do that and, and kind of share experience across the board. I think this amount of uh, natural chemistry that exists when you have honed into something that you're really, really good at is incredible. Um, and I always, you know, think of advice that I got when I was very, very young and, and I'm still young, I guess, but when I was much younger um, and earlier on in my career around, you know, how you how you compound value. And I think that it's super clear that the best way to do that is to pick something that you're good at. It's incredible to look at the same math problem every single day, you know, and all of a sudden you're a math genius. And yes, you are. You're incredibly talented, but also you've just spent a lot of time looking at one singular problem. So I think there's just power in that that will always exist. Of course, um, there's also value in, in having, you know, a, a diversified portfolio. But I think this is very different in terms of like, you know, as an LP, what do you want versus as an individual, a venture investor, or even a founder, what do you need, right? So if I were investing today in the public markets, I wouldn't put all my money in B2B SaaS. I'd probably put a significant, you know, some of it at least in consumer in some shape or form. But if I were an LP making a decision as to, you know, which fund, I think it makes a lot of sense to pick people if not a fund that, that know what they're doing in a very particular sector. And I think if I were a founder, I would definitely want to work with, with, um, with investors who have just seen uh, the same problems over and over again. Yeah, yeah, all of that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, but of course, B2B enterprise software is a very, very broad uh, definition. Um, are there any sectors in particular, maybe healthcare or, or, or you know, catering to, to the needs of SMEs uh, that, that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, um, indeed, B2B is, is super broad. And in fact, it broadens every day. It's been interesting to see prosumer develop as a category, um, which, you know, very much is the intersection of B2B and, and B2C. And I spent some time there. I look at a lot of future of work tools, um, collaboration um, and integration, especially in the workplace and how that will evolve. Um, but primarily I spend my time looking at uh, developer tools, which in some ways are prosumer-like, I guess you could say. They, they sit between B2B and B2C because they have um, the incredible impact of being viral in nature when successful um, and require a knowledge and understanding of how to especially you know, target an individual um, in the first instance and ensure that they have an extremely positive experience before then, you know, turning it into a full-blown um, enterprise enterprise organization. So we have a couple of developer tools in our portfolio at Dawn. We recently invested in Element, um, which is a company built off of Matrix, the open source project. Um, we were early investors in Neo4j uh, as well, for example. We're just on the cusp of announcing a couple of more um, developer tools investments. I won't mention which ones, just, you know, fingers crossed that um, everything gets over the line really, really soon. But, you know, that, that's kind of my, my area of, of interest and focus. And I think Europe is particularly interesting there because 
of a number of reasons. One, I'm, as I mentioned, this ecosystem of talent that has just continued to build here. And, you know, the increasingly strong developer community that exists here. Two is, you know, just open source and how valuable that is in Europe and how many people are turning to that for solutions and how many solutions are actually originating from from Europe from that perspective. And three is just the incredible amount of uh, universities um, and institutions that exist here that are actually building and nurturing um, some of the best uh, uh, engineering talent in the world. Yep. One thing you didn't mention that I think you should is that you also made two investments in Belgium, uh, which is of course my home country. Uh, so I'll, I'll give a shout out to Calibra and, uh, and Showpad. Uh, you've invested in, I think, both of the, the fastest growing tech companies Belgium has ever seen. Um, but I think if I remember correctly from your introduction, you actually focus on the UK and Ireland for now. Um, are you sort of hoping to expand that to the, to the rest of Europe or how, how does that work? Yeah, so Dawn invests uh, across Europe. It's a good point. So we invest in in every single European country um, and and Israel as well. Increasingly, we've we've made a few investments in Israel out of our fourth fund, for example. And I'm actually involved with the board of Minute Media, which is another Israeli company. So we are, we are quite pan-European from that perspective. Um, the way we organize is that every single uh, person in the team has a geography that they cover, um, i.e. They, they really try to see everything in that geography, regardless of sector. But, you know, we also have, I would say, you know, vertical expertise <laughs> within a very vertical very vertical solution, which means that for me in developer tools, I, I look across Europe. So I look at every single thing that, you know, is, is here in the UK, but also, frankly, in, in Germany, lots of exciting things there. Um, in Belgium, exciting things coming up there, especially at the infrastructure level, uh, you know, Spain, uh, Stone, you name it. And I'm, I'm, I'm very much interested in looking at it and, and covering it. Well, that's great. And um, maybe just as a, a follow-up question to that, how do you actually manage to keep track of those things? Because you say you look at developer tools across Europe, but what what tools and, and, and services are you using to actually build that deal flow? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a combination of it's a combination of things, frankly. I think a part of it is staying close to, to where developers are spending time. So I actually spend a lot of time on GitHub, <laughs> you know, uh, getting a sense of exactly, you know, what people are loving, um, what feedback it's getting, the amount of traction um, that every single project is receiving. Um, so that's a good source of, of deal flow and automating a significant amount of that as well, which is helpful. The second piece is, you know, it's going to sound super stereotypical as well, but really like Hacker News is actually an incredible source of information as well for figuring out what's next and what's hot in the space and what people are excited about. The third thing that I do is I keep a, a network of really, you know, uh, eclectic de- <laughs> developer friends um, who are often whispering to me about what needs to happen next and what they're excited about. Um, and that's also proved helpful from a diligence perspective. And finally, just, you know, continuing to, to be open and, and have conversations with everyone that we meet. We receive a significant amount of inbound at, at dawn from people who are building interesting stuff. Um, I, I always encourage people to email me and, and share whatever they're building, um, especially in developer tools, which I'm excited about. Um, and, you know, keeping connected with other VCs who are investing in this space as well and, and making sure that we're um, looking at whatever they're, 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 they're tracking and, and supporting. Yep, and I couldn't help but notice that you actually pointed this out that there is a rise of B two B focused funds uh, in Europe, but also but also elsewhere. Um, is that a good evolution? You think? I think it's a great evolution. Frankly, I think it's it's good to see the market catching up to us and realizing that we're we're fundamentally onto something. It's very interesting, actually, if you look at the amount of deal flow um, at the early stage, especially between B two B and B two C, for the last let's say three to five years, it's it skewed heavily in Europe towards B two B. I think the market is just following the opportunity, which is that, you know, first of all, you know, COVID has happened, which has increased the need for B2B-like solutions. Um, and and B, like the fundamental driver, I think, is actually the cloud and how much that has opened up. I think 
you know, for the longest time we are done with just like, yeah, B2B, this makes sense. We always knew it, it worked. And I think people are starting to see the large outcomes you typically saw in, in B2C um, occurring in, in B2B. And I think that's creating a lot of pull in the space. Uh, a lot of those are infrastructure linked, you know, people like Snowflake, for example, who I think are now valued at 60 billion, but I think it was 120 billion a few weeks ago. Um, so people are realizing that the massive nature and the pervasive nature of these solutions and the opportunity that exists right now at this very moment um, to build infrastructure that supports, you know, every single business that exists, which is by nature a very, very large time. So I think that's a, a part of the pool. It oscillates though, right? I'm sure like 15 years from now, there will be a, you know, consumer-like innovation that then creates an opportunity for consumer to be, to increase in, in deal flow again. Okay. Follow-up question to what you said about SoftBank Vision Fund, you know, looking more later stage than Dawn Capital. Uh, there is, of course, an ongoing conversation within the European venture community about this this perceived gap or, or actual gap in uh, in late stage funding in Europe, uh, which is you know currently being plucked quite nicely uh, by US funds, by SPACs, by IPOs, by Southeast Asian funds as well. Do you think that actually that's actually an issue? Do, do you also acknowledge that there's a gap in late stage funding in Europe or not? I think the, the answer to that question has changed over the last two or three years, right? I think uh, perhaps previously, you know, if you wanted to have a growth, you know, series C or series D round, there were only a very, very limited number of options that you have. But if I think about the market today and I think about some of the most exciting um, listed European assets, they have an abundance of capital. So, you know, if I think about Series D, E plus companies that are, you know, growing at an incredible clip uh, with incredible teams and incredible markets, those companies have no uh, no problem getting funded at all. So I think there's abundance of capital there. I think what there's probably still work to do is in the gems, right? The, the non-obvious solutions, the non-hype companies which people perhaps may not be seeing because they're sitting in the U.S. and are focused on a very, very particular set of assets. And I think there, indeed, I think there continues to be an opportunity. We see a few of those companies as well. You know, at Dawn, we invest in Series A and Series B, but we also do Series C and D sometimes opportunistically. And I think it's just, you know, important to continue to be open to the fact that, like, you know, they, they aren't just 10 growth companies in Europe. They're actually many, many more. And people just need to do a better job of finding them. Yeah. Okay, then uh, let's go back to last summer when you joined Dawn Capital. As I said before, there was smack in the middle of the, the first uh, sort of lockdown, the first uh, few months of the pandemic. Uh, how difficult was that for you? Because, of course, you you can't really connect personally with uh, with with your your colleagues and and, and even uh, maybe the, the the conversations that we ha that you have with entrepreneurs and pitches have been remote for the most part. Has it been been difficult for you? Yeah, it's been interesting. I thought it would be much harder than it was. I think Dawn did an incredible job of onboarding. When London opened up for a moment in the summer, we all tried to, to meet and, and um, at least see each other face to face, which was incredible from the personal connection. So I feel like with the Dawn team, actually, I feel a lot of intimacy and connection to them. With Farnas, it's been fascinating, right? Because in addition to everything being remote, you only have, you know, few meetings over Zoom to be able to get to a decision as to whether you want to invest or not and for them to get to a decision as to whether they want to work with you or not. And so I feel like that's going to be interesting when things open up again. I'm very curious to see how I handle in-person meetings. You know, what do you do with the silence in the background that's not, you know, that's not your kid running around and your puppy sitting on your lap? So I think it will be, you know, 100% different. I'm curious <laughs> uh, primarily to see how, how everyone returns to that. Um, and, and from my perspective, you know, it's been good to have these virtual conversations, but very much looking forward to supplementing them with an in-person interaction, especially with, with founders where I feel like you really need to build that relationship and they need to get comfortable um, with having you as a partner on their team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to ask you a very horribly cliche uh, type of interview question, but I'm generally interested. Uh, where do you see yourself in, in five years from now? 
Yeah, I know it's a good it's a good question. I feel like the world is so is so open, but I I, I really uh, hope to um, continue to be a part of venture, continue to be a part of Dawn. You know, I think we've we've built an incredible brand. Uh, I can't take credit for all of it since I'm a recent joiner, but I'm super super happy there, and and I really want to see this and continue to grow and do more things, continue to um, to raise more money, continue to lead more large rounds, continue to expand our our landscape in in Europe. And perhaps even continue to support some of those growth gaps that you mentioned were lacking in the European ecosystem. So I think that would be my personal thing. I think what I'd love to see Czech in Europe in, in five years from now is an increasingly independent ecosystem with connections to the US, of course, and, and Asia, but also just being able to stand on its own. I think we're seeing some incredible signs of progress here. I know Deliveroo's IPO is controversial and a bit of noise around it, but I think it's incredible to see that happening on the London on the London scene, I hope to see more of those things happen, and I hope to see uh, a more resilient uh, European ecosystem um, that's self-sustaining and that's continuing to kind of create and um, build the next generation of B two B companies as well as B two C if they must. Yeah, um, Shamila, maybe 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 a weird question to end on, but I'm I'm wondering because you're originally from Uganda, do you actually follow the the local startup ecosystem in Uganda, maybe the wider wider parts of Africa as well? Yes, absolutely. Definitely follow the African ecosystem. It's been it's been incredible to watch actually. You know, I think uh from a from a growth stage and private equity perspective, the, the sector has been quite busy for some time now, actually almost twenty years. So like African private equity is relatively established. I think African venture is increasing um in prominence and there's increasing opportunity. We see a lot of opportunity in fintech. I think everyone has seen the most Stripe has made there and the number of fundings that have gotten done in the last six months, frankly, in, um, yes. in African fintech. So that's all super exciting. I think there'll continue to be a role for especially infrastructure-related uh, solutions, very much how it works, right? You build the infrastructure and then on top of that, a bunch of different applications that are helpful uh, built on top of that. So I think Africa is very much in that infrastructure building phase and super excited to see how that goes. Lots of incredible talent there, um, lots of exciting entrepreneurs there and uh, lots of growth, I think, to to be to be reached, frankly, over the next few years as well. Yeah. Does that mean that European investors should also be be eyeing Africa, not just for investments, also for their portfolio companies, maybe to expand and look for partnerships and customers there? I'd say it's on a case by case basis. Um, if I think about B two B, for example, if I think about the average land contract that we're seeing for our companies, I'm thinking about you know average portfolio is probably doing like 50 or 100k ACV um, in in general. That's actually a lot of money. So if I translate that into Uganda shillings, 500 thousand dollars is like two billion Uganda shillings, which is like a lot of a lot a lot of money, right? So you know I think it's very important to calibrate that, right? If you're going to Africa, have the understanding of the fact that it's it's really a different GDP actually really different GDP per capita in most economies. Of course, you can take out South Africa, perhaps Egypt in some part. You know, there are obviously pockets that, that exist differently. Um, but you do have to be aware of, of a very different um, environment just because of the GDP. So I think, you know, that will continue to improve as well over time, right? Hopefully, as more of Africans become more economically liberated, as more Africans, you know, get over the poverty line, as enterprise and established enterprise becomes, you know, more the norm versus mom and pop shops that will all evolve. And so I think, if you find, you know, a sweet spot in Africa, go for it. Um, the market is large. Just make sure you're charging the right price. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good comment uh, at the end there. Um, Shamila, last question. Um, what, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. What are some of the companies that you or Don Capital, uh, your team has not invested in, in the European tech space in the last few years that you wish you had? And you can name several if you want. 
Right. This is this is a very very interesting question actually, uh, because we we think about it very 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 frequently. I'd say one that comes to mind is um, well, two that come to mind. One is Omvido. I think you know I wasn't a dumb when we did that. I think I don't think we've done it at SoftBank either when I was there. So that's an interesting one. Obviously, a great story um, out of here in the UK, and seems like it, it's doing really really well. The other is Tessian, which you know is again an incredible story that we would have uh, we would have loved to be to be a part of. There's quite a few to be honest. I keep a list, uh, but those are two that I'll that I'll mention off the top of my head. And it's always good to look back actually and think to yourself, you know, why did you miss that or why didn't you see that? Um, and we are we constantly doing that at dawn to basically figure out how we can become better. Um, at identifying great companies and um, supporting teams that are obviously um, on, on rocket ships. Great. And we'll be watching uh, from TechEU as well, so keep us posted. Uh, Shamila, thank you so much for your time. We really enjoyed this conversation. Really nice to meet you. And uh, best of luck at Dawn. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show. Ciao. Cheers. And this is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, follow us today wherever you listen to podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Our audio engineering is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome. Please do send them to podcast at tech.eu. This was TechEU Podcast. I am Andre Degler, and I will talk to you again next week. For now, do take care and enjoy the weekend. Bye-bye.